Podcast listeners, Al Martin here, back with Dr. Mindy Weinstein on digital marketing and the power of scarcity, her new book. Scarcity is where we will jump in and we'll talk about how consumers can avoid being drawn in by scarcity marketing. Enjoy. To making data simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. So how are there any tricks? How can consumers learn to navigate it and avoid some of this manipulation <laughs> without missing out, yeah. without having FOMO? What can we do? It sounds like you experience it just as well mm -hmm. as everybody else. What do we do? I, I know. And so I'm telling you things and these are things that, um, they work. And so my wine example, I just got really caught up into it. So I didn't even let myself <laughs> stop. I was just like, get the cart. We're getting a case. Come on, let's go. And so really though, I told you all these things, but all of those things that are happening, happening. So FOMO and mental shortcuts, I alluded to that. It's all subconscious, which means that we can still like think about it, like access that. So subconscious means that we're not necessarily focused on what's happening, but we can, if we like take a moment and you're like, why am I buying this? You can start to think it's because I'm worried about missing out. Well, why am I worried about missing out? And so really pausing on those decisions is the best thing you could do. And if you can even wait 24 hours to make a decision, as much pressure is being put on you to make that decision right then, wait. Because what happens is that FOMO that we feel, it's generally short-lived. And there's actually been a lot of studies that show that too. So it's an anticipation of regret is what happens. And so we anticipate we're going to regret if we don't buy this now or go to this event or whatever it might be. But that regret is very short-lived. And again, that's something that we see from studies. So knowing that, and then the other thing too, so a few things. So waiting, you know, so take that moment to wait think through why you're making this decision. And then the last thing is do your research. So if you do see something that seems like a really good deal, does that company do those promotions frequently? Is it available on other sites a lot of times or other stores or from other businesses? And so really doing those things are uh, really important. So I have to stop. I, those are, I'm telling you things I do for myself too, because I'll get no, caught up. Good. Yeah. I get caught Although up I do this. think it's, Maybe easier said than done. So you used McDonald's as an example. Is there any other examples of, of clients that you're working with and how they use the idea of scarcity? Yeah. So there is, yeah, there's so many companies, but there um, is one company and I actually included them in my book. And I love what they did because scarcity was just natural for them. And they're an electric bike company. And so it's a startup company. And uh, what they did, so they were bootstrapping when they were getting started. And so they didn't right. have a ton of money. So they would have pre-orders. So they would sell the bikes. And then once they collected the money, they would make the bikes, which naturally made a wait list because it took some time. And so what was happening is they were, you know, getting these pre-orders in, then they were, you know, creating the bikes and people would have to wait for them. But as people were on this wait list, which again was created naturally, what was really interesting and unanticipated by the, the founder of the company when I was talking to him is that those people started to like connect on like you know, Facebook, they might see someone posted that they got their bike, you know, because they tagged the company. And then these other people mm -hmm. who were waiting would start engaging with those people. And all of a sudden, there ended up being all like this big community of people mm -hmm. who loved this e-bike. And so they got really excited. And then the popularity and demand grew because 
then other people started seeing that and here there's a wait list. And so again, we've got value, demand equals value. And so for them, that was a huge proponent in their success. And so I found that fascinating because the whole community aspect, something you wouldn't even think about. But then the other thing that they did, and they do it periodically, and we we're talking about this, is that, you know, they sell them online since e-commerce, is that they'll do a lot of, you know, sales here and there. But they have found that when they use a countdown timer, which I know we all hate those countdown timers where you're on a website and it's like counting down till the sale's over, but it starts to get that feeling in you because you're competing with the clock. You're like, oh gosh, I don't want to miss this. But as annoying as those are, and we say this, uh, their sales went up 40% every time they used a countdown timer. So we say we don't like them yet when we get on a site that has that, we're now competing with that clock. And so that's just a really good um, example of how it's done. And just I'll do one more example is uh, Harry and David. So they also uh, really bring in the exclusive side of things when it comes to, you know, how they use scarcity. And again, it would just happen naturally. But people who like Harry and David, a lot of them like to have, you know, products that are a little bit different and unique and, you know, not everyone else has those items. And so they actually created these exclusive communities that you could join. So if you're part of their email list, they'll, they would say, we have a new community opening up and they would only have, you know, 20 to 30 people in this community of customers. And what they would do, these people would come together and they had common interests. That's how they got matched up and they would get access to a limited product. And so the one that I even talked about in my book was butter. And so like this woman churns butter and only would sell it to the local, you know, rest gourmet restaurants, but they were able to get like a certain amount of units of those and they offered it to that community. So it created this feeling of I'm part of something, I'm different, you know, for, I can show this to my family and friends, but then I also have this connection with these other people. And so again, just so many great examples of things um, that can be done just takes a little bit of creativity. And like I said, most likely something in your business, there's some type of scarcity already. Just how can you highlight that? Well, what you're talking about on that timer, that's kind of like what late night TV, the, what do you call it? <laughs> Everything that comes on, you got a timer for. That's kind of their whole business model, isn't it? Even like home shopping networks. Like yes. PVC. The home shopping network. That's yeah. They, say. oh gosh, they're like, they really dialed in scarcity <laughs> because <laughs> they bring in limited edition. So they'll have limited edition items and that could be like a product they had before, but now there's like one additional feature or add on to it. And then they'll have or the, like the demand related. So showing popularity, oh, we only have so many left, you know, and the host is saying, yes. oh, now we have 10 left. And then, and then you have, yeah, that time. Plus you can see what the price is like now, but what it's going to be later. And so a lot of FOMO involved, but it works. And they've also been able to evolve too. watching them, you know, even as our shopping habits have changed, you know, they definitely uh -huh. made an e-commerce presence, but they definitely, they know how to bring in scarcity. Now, is scarcity marketing essentially the basis by which Black Friday was informed? Is, it, is that essentially the whole thing, the whole yes. concept? So Black Friday, oh, yes. I mean, if you want to see scarcity in action, yeah, that's Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, but Black Friday is definitely huge with scarcity. And there's a lot of reasons. I mean, you have stores that have a certain amount, so they limit the amount of items at a certain price. We know historically that that's when their sales on certain things are going to be slashed. And so you've got time-related scarcity, you've got supply-related scarcity, but then you also have demand because, you know, so many shoppers are going to also be out there. And so definitely the prime example of scarcity and how strong it really is. 
Yeah. So we are a technology, <laughs> we are a technology podcast, but look, uh, we get into all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. But my question is, is what role does data play in marketing and how do you think it's used to increase or decrease the scarcity mindset? Yeah. So data, I mean, that's huge. So knowing, knowing, like I talked about your best sellers and most popular, you're going to know that from your data. What are people looking at? What are they clicking on? Uh, booking.com, I feel like, because I want to give you another example to answer this question. Yeah. They have done also a phenomenal job of using scarcity, but they're still basing it on data. And so letting you know, we when you've been on this travel website, like you know how many rooms are left, you know, in the San Diego hotel and, and they're giving you that information in real time, which is pulling in that data, but it also then creates FOMO because I want well, gosh, all those people are getting in that hotel. I want to make sure I can get in that hotel too. And so really important to know what, what is popular. How can we keep things updated if something is running low in stock, you know, having that type of information that's out there and then being able to see people's preferences too. And yeah, what are they doing and what's their behavior? So to me, it's such a huge part of it all to understand that. What other areas of technology, whether it be AI or otherwise, do you see as critical in well, critically impacting marketing today and also at the advent of our future. Well, yeah, AI, I was going to say that. So AI. I'm sure that was going to be mentioned, but I, I figured yeah. I'd let you mention it. Yeah. So, I mean, really, because then that's letting us look at so much data at once and identifying those patterns and we're able to make decisions that way. So, and, you know, of course, AI has been built into so many marketing tools already, you know, so a lot of the tools that we're using to make decisions because we're seeing these analytics well, that's already pulling from that. So to me, it's helping us make more of those informed decisions and then also, of course, personalize the information that we're putting out there. But it's just that depth of information now that we can see and using AI. And of course, that's not going anywhere. It's just evolving. Do you think you can survive as a marketing company without AI today? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's hard. It'd be hard. You could, I think right now you could still survive, but I think it'd be very difficult and you're going to be behind everybody else who's able to use this and to advance with it. Do you teach in your seminars and your classroom on how to make better use of AI? I love that you asked me that because, and it's, well, now I'm giving you like more information than you asked for, but this was actually no, no, something go. that was even discussed in a faculty meeting yesterday because we talked about yes. a lot about AI and not just marketing faculty, it was all business faculty. And so I think I was geeking out the most talking about it. Like, oh yeah, we're I'm talking about it in my classes because I feel like, you know, that technology, of course, with machine learning is the main thing. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, speaking the obvious here, yeah, but no, it's, good. it's here, it's evolving. And if we choose to ignore it and not use it or teach about it, then we're already behind. And so for my students, we do a lot of in-class discussions. And so I'll have them bring in articles of things they've read. So there's been a lot of like how use cases being talked about, but I have also brought in some tools into the classroom that's actually pulling from, you know, part of it is AI. And so for example, my students right now are doing a persona exercise and we're using these huge data sets, but there are these reports that really dive down into the different characteristics of the audience and customers for different brands, which of course pulled all that data, but then AI is what compiled it and broke it into different categories and, and called out different things for them. So I'm using it. Let me ask you something. That's curious. That's a curious answer. I mean, I get it, but 
my question is, is why is whether to teach AI or not actually in debate? <laughs> so, I, I don't want to set you up, but I, I'm just, that is. No. Um, so part of it is really, it's not necessarily teaching it. And I'll just be to- actually totally be candid to like the yeah. academic side. It's that idea of AI makes a lot of things easier. Does that mean it makes it easier for students and doing assignments and papers and, you know, you can go through this whole thing. And so that's more of the, how much do we, do we push it? Because then it, you know, calls into question of how do we keep, you know, integrity within, you know, the different submissions from students. And so that's been a lot of the conversation uh, without a lot of answers yet, but that's been some of the the concern more than anything else. But like I said, I'm here on the marketing side going, Oh no, we need to use it. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, look, I'm sure some of your conversation is probably, surrounding uh, chat GPT, I presume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just didn't call that out, but that's been the huge yes, uh, part of the conversation. Any any thoughts on how to address that? I mean, look, it is pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. I use it today. If I'm going to create a paper, particularly if I got writer's block, I will go out there and ask a question and get some snippets, and then I'll, I'll edit it from there. I mean, I think it's going to be here to stay, but um, I'm on the other side, so I... What do you think? I think it's, I've been using it too, actually, since it came out, I've been using it. And so I've been using it, like you just said, almost for a starting point, you know? So if you are trying to research something or you're trying to put something together, some kind of content's a good starting point. Someone was just telling me a story yesterday of their CEO. They had written his bio. Three different people wrote the, the CEO's bio. He didn't like any of them. And so they put it through <laughs> chat GPT and that was the one he liked. They didn't tell him. He's like, see, that's what I'm looking for. And they're that, well, gosh, I guess don't, he doesn't need us. <laughs> <He's gone>. <laughs> so, um, but to me, it's an opportunity. And so I look at it and how I'm teaching it to students is it's another tool that you can use that still requires you to give it input and you at the end of the day to, you know, to make sure and, and, you know, take what you have and and look at it and make sure it's, it's good to go or needs those revisions. And so just where we're at, who knows where we're going to be at with it down the road, but um, that's how I view it. And I've been using it. So I I got to believe that they, you know, there were the same debates when the calculator was first introduced. Uh, I've not met a time on chat GPT where I haven't taken it and edited it yet because it's not Mm -hmm. relevant to the context in which I'm asking it. So it's always got to be tweaked, but it does help to get started. It does, And I can't particularly in some fundamental type of, I think like grade school and stuff like that, that's where it's going to be difficult where Mm -hmm. you can get a good paper that's, you know, maybe answers the question. I think, I don't know. They're going to have to have like a, an hour long session where you write your paper in front of you. There you go. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though. Like you saying that I even had my son who was in grade school a few years ago. I caught him in the kitchen asking, this is so bad. I'm even totally throwing him under the bus, but he was in third, <laughs> okay. second grade or third grade. He's doing his math homework and he was actually asking Alexa the math problems. And then writing down the answers and we're like, buddy, that's cheating. And he was actually shocked. He goes, why? My teacher said to to use all the resources possible to do our homework. I go, I don't think she meant smart. (laughs) She didn't mean Alexa. And I ended up telling his teacher and she laughed and laughed. And she then later told me, I've been telling everyone that story because she goes, he's right. I did say use every resource available. (laughs) I just hadn't thought about that. 
So in his mind, he wasn't. And so you're right. Like, what's it going to be like? Who knows? Yeah, I know. That's a difficult, a difficult concept. I think it's here to stay though. So we're going to have to yes. figure out how we're going to address it. So um, thank you for today. I've got a couple more questions, but these are, I want to ask you about marketing a bit. Mm-hmm. What didn't we cover here today on scarcity that you'd like to cover? Anything that I missed? I, we covered, you know, so much. I feel like we covered everything, but just as a reminder, you know, with what I was talking about is when you're thinking of it from a business perspective, it doesn't have to be something that's costly to implement. It's just the way that you are wording things and how are you positioning certain products or services. And so just keep that in mind and then, you know, do some testing and that's where data again is going to help you test and see is if I try this type of scarcity, is it going to work? Am I going to generate more revenue and then go from there? Sounds great. Where can folks reach you and or find your book? Yeah, absolutely. So I make it really easy. So if you just go to powerofscarcity.com, so that's powerofscarcity.com. That's actually my book title. It'll take you to my website where you can buy the book. So all the different booksellers are listed there and then get other information on how to connect with me. All right. So are you on LinkedIn? Is that another Oh yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Big LinkedIn user. So (laughs) definitely you can find me on there. Very active. And what about uh, Market MindShift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Market find? MindShift is my marketing company. And so if you want to learn more about what I do outside of the academic world, uh, marketmindshift.com is, is my company. And you can definitely learn more there. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, a couple questions to end, if you would. Who do you think is the best? When you're in marketing, you're an expert in marketing. Who do you consider the best marketer of all time? Ooh, okay. So... That's such a good question because the first person that comes to mind is not even a marketer, but it's just the fact of the knowledge that he's put out there. And he didn't intend for it necessarily to be something that marketers would grab onto, but they have. And that's Dr. Robert Cialdini. So he wrote the book Influence. And so he, um, he's been really great. So he's actually lives not far from me too. So we've had lots of conversations. But when you talk about really adding to the marketing community and the body of knowledge. Like he has done so much. And like I said, and he, um, he didn't write the book necessarily as a marketing book, but us marketers sure grabbed onto it. Is that a common book that marketers go towards? It's, yeah, it's a, it's one of those books that a lot of marketers go to. Absolutely. Because it has all the different factors that influence and persuade people. So understanding those, you know, he talks to the concepts behind them, but looking at those and thinking about, well, what's going on, you know, from the psychological perspective, how can you apply that, you know, in your marketing efforts? It is a big, a big uh, go-to book for a lot. So not Edward Bernays or any, I don't know if he was ethical. There's a lot of great people, but he's yeah. just, when you asked me that <laughs> okay. question, he was the that's person great. that came to my mind. Is there any, that, that's a great book. I already put it down in my notes. Any other books that you find fascinating that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So I also really like, um, I got, gosh, I'm like looking, I've got a ton over on my bookshelf, <laughs> but I also really like the book, you know, building a story brands. Um, that one's a really great one. Thinking just more again, what are you, what message are you putting out there to, to customers? And so, but then I even love like, so I'm giving you ones that aren't all necessarily like traditional marketing books, but even tipping point is one of my favorite books, yeah, you know, okay. because just understanding, well, what love makes that. things take off. And so, um, I read a lot, but those are the ones that like, I'll go back and keep referencing. 
Terrific. Thank you for that. Um, look, you're very well-spoken. You should have your own podcast. So, <laughs> so thank you for being here. Last question. What do you do for fun? Oh, okay. Um, I two things. So there's two things. I love to hike. And so my 17 year old and I, we do a lot of hiking together. If, if you've been to Arizona, like that's, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so hiking and reading. So, and when I say reading, I do read a lot of nonfiction. You can tell from what I'm explaining, but I read a lot of fiction too. So I usually have my nose in a book. I think last year I read, I counted like 36 or 37 books over the year. Like that's a little insane. Wow. A little insane. <laughs> I, well, you know what? I have to tell you, you're going to think this is absolutely insane. But my daughter reads over a hundred. <gasps> she's crazy. Well, I mean, okay. she is reading nonstop. And, and in fact, she just graduated from college, and and she she doesn't get enough sleep. She's back home for the time being, and I'm like, you have got to because she's reading all the time. She can't stop. It's like an addiction. I've never seen it. I wish I was that way. But 37 is phenomenal as well. Nicely well, done. Well, I don't know. Now that doesn't sound like so much. <laughs> I think I need to up my game here. Yeah, she's she's out of control. Don't no no issue there. So thank you so much uh, for being. Hey, uh, one last. I said that was the last question, but where are you in Arizona? I'm in. So I'm live in Scottsdale, Arizona, but my school where I'm sitting right now is in Phoenix. So Grand Canyon University, but yep. So in Scottsdale. So you got the Super Bowl and everything this year. We have, oh gosh, we've got a lot going on. We have Barry Jackson going. Well, that's every year we have the Super Bowl. (laughs) So Arizona's got it going on right now. It does. Thank you for, thank you, uh, Mindy, for being here. I greatly appreciate it. I learned a lot. Uh, we'll get all this information into the show notes, including your book, etc. I've got to finish it, started it. So, but I got to finish it. This is fantastic. Good information. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Podcasters, podcast, sorry, let me try that again. Podcast listeners. Thank you for being here. Hit us on Al Martin talks data at gmail.com. We will see you next time on the podcast. Bye-bye.